when I ask you a question today, can you think back to some important day in your life, some day where you know things changed? Now, I'm hoping that's a memory for the good, that things changed for the better. But I want you to think about that for a minute, because those moments in our lives where God chooses to enter in and bring change are positive. They're, they're things that God wants to accomplish in life for us. Today we're going to be looking at a story of someone whose life changed in a moment, in the flash of an eye. I remember one of those nights. It was in January of 2001. My wife had said there was a young man in town that we should hear preach. And I thought, okay, I love to hear good preaching. Let's go hear him preach. Well, he was so good that I went back on Saturday night to hear him again. And I was so impressed by what God was saying to me through him that I just kept going every Friday and Saturday night for three months. Along about the end of the second month, I had gotten to know this speaker quite well. His name was Damon Thompson. And Damon said to me, you know, Pastor, we'd like to have you up on the stage with us today on the platform and you could sit with a few of the other pastors from the local community. He said, would you mind doing that? And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of risky. You know, this is, a, this is an Assemblies of God church, and I pastor a Presbyterian church. And, and he said, oh, come on, you know, get over it. Get up here. I said, okay, I will. So I'm sitting there, and he comes out that evening to preach, and he says, tonight we're going to be talking about Zacchaeus, about this embezzler, you know, who invited royalty to dinner. We're going to talk about him tonight. And then he looks over on the platform and he points at me. And he said, this man, this doctor of theology, this Presbyterian pastor is just like Zacchaeus. And I'm sitting there, what am I doing here? This is terrible. You know, why did he do this? There's a saying in part of Protestantism that says Presbyterians are the frozen chosen that was me. You know, where's this going from here? Why are you doing this? I may have to take drastic actions you know, to go back to my past and call my friend Guido in Miami. Uh, but I'm just sitting there scared to death. He continues in the message and he says, but tonight, this man, pointing at me again, is going to hear the voice of God and then he will do whatever God says for him to do. And I'm thinking, now I'm really on the spot. I have to do this. I have to listen to what he has to say. Well, I'm going to say the same thing to you today. No matter who you are, no matter what your walk in life may be, no matter what your position, your power, your influence, God has something to say to you today. And you're going to have to deal with it. And it's okay. Because God's plan it's a wonderful plan. It's the perfect plan. And it's the one he has for every one of his children. So we're going to talk about this man named Zacchaeus. It's found in Luke chapter 19. And in this chapter, we read the story of a man that's an unusual guy. Now, he lives in Jericho. And I want to tell you a little about that particular part of the world. It all belonged to Rome. But Jericho sat in a location that allowed it to receive trade from the north and 
from the east and from the south. And people would, would come for miles and they'd pass through Jericho on their way. They also went through Caesarea, they went through Capernaum. Those were the three largest cities in that general area. Now, Jericho was known for oils, for balsam, for cypress, had a lot of major products that it traded internationally. Now, that brings us to Rome. Rome placed a tariff on everything, a tax. If you were buying or if you're selling, you're going to pay a tax. And that tax was levied by Rome through one of the tax collectors. Now, the average tax collector would meet hundreds of people on a day as he or she passed through the city, and they would collect money from them, not only the money that Rome required, but money that this particular tax collector felt he should be paid for handling Rome's money. And since he was just a general tax collector, he also had to collect a little extra for the chief tax collector. And that's Zacchaeus in Jericho. So here's Zacchaeus in Jericho with dozens of these guys out there collecting taxes, keeping some for themselves, giving the rest to him, and he's collecting taxes. Probably has the biggest clients. Those are the ones that the chief collector would work with. He's a very wealthy man. He's a very hated man because of his position, because of his wealth. When you say tax collector, that's what you think. That's why people just couldn't understand Jesus Christ, that Jesus would call Matthew a tax collector to be a part of his following. So Zacchaeus has earned the right to be a man of power and position. But in stature, he's a small man. Nothing wrong with that. That's just the way God made him. But it also made him a risk taker because he wasn't afraid of what people thought, obviously. He didn't care. He just wanted to have power and influence. That was his purpose. And that's where life goes wrong. What is your purpose? Why are you really here? Until you can grasp God's call in your life, not only the call to be in relationship with him, but the call that he places upon you by giving you gifts and abilities and talents to serve, not just in the church, to serve in the community, to serve in the world. He's called every single one of us to do that, but very few are listening to what God is saying because we're more enamored with that power and position, that influence and that income. Well, God recognized that in Zacchaeus. This is what's happened to this tax collector. He's so wrapped up in himself, so wrapped up in his power and position, it's time for me to help him understand what I have for him to do. I want him to follow. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, He said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's life. That's your starting point of purpose. Is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you need in life, they'll be added to you. He'll bring them. He'll give you what you need. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was 
But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And there was a crowd that was following Jesus. Why were they following him? Because he's doing miracles. He was a man of influence and power. He didn't have any money, but wow, he sure had a following. And you know what? If we can watch him do these things, this is great. And if we have friends, we're going to invite them. Maybe they can be healed. Maybe all sorts of things will happen. That's why we're following him. We're going to gain something from this. Wrong reason to follow Jesus. But that's what they were doing. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And I'm trying to figure out why. If he's not a follower of Christ, why would he want to, to go up into a tree to be able to see the man? And the only thing that I can deduce is this, that anytime someone of power and influence would come through Jericho, he probably wanted to meet them because it would be logical that in meeting them, he may gain something from them. Maybe they were about to buy something. That's why they were coming through. He's going to levy the tax on it. So it makes sense to me. Or just because Jesus was famous. That name was important. He didn't know who Christ was. He didn't know him as the son of God. He knew him as a rabbi. He just wanted to see him so he could identify him, so he could say, yeah, I've, I've seen him. I know who he is. But God had a different plan. Zacchaeus was a risk taker. And that's what God's calling every one of us to be. Now, levels of risk differ. Nothing wrong with being cautious, always being prayerful, making sure you know what it is God wants you to do. But it's also a willingness to trust him to such an extent that when he calls your name, you will do whatever he tells you to do. That's what Damon was saying about me that night. He said, God's going to give you a call. He's going to say something to you, and you're going to have to respond to that one way or the other. I had spent 25 years in ministry. I had been pastoring in three different churches over that period of time. I was fine. I was comfortable. I liked what I did. I loved the church. I loved the people. I was having a great time. And God said, okay, enough of that. It's time to do something else I want you to do. That was the message I was going to hear that night. You're going to hear a message today. God is going to challenge you. He's going to put that risk factor out there for you. Are you ready to do whatever God calls you to do? That is huge. Well, hundreds of people in this church take that risk every day, every week. We have a great church. You know that, don't you? I mean, people are volunteering all the time. Out there in that cold weather, can you believe the guys and the girls that go out there to direct traffic, the ones who take care of everything here, all those people down in Alma that are serving, this is just, it's a wonderful place. But sometimes it takes a risk. You know, one of our ministries, Kids Hope, we have over 200 people involved in that, and they go weekly to meet with a child in a school to be a parent to that child for just one hour and to help them. That's a risk, but it's a risk worth taking. We're still looking for more people to help do that. Sign up out at the info center. Maybe that's not the risk God's calling you to, but he is going to call you to some kind of a risk because when he has a plan for you, he will execute that plan. 
Now, I'd much rather be in his graces and say yes to him and trust him than to try to fight the change that he wants to bring on me. Because, let me tell you, you're not going to win. God always wins. But he wants to do it gently and through love with you. Luke chapter 19, the next two verses. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Two things happen right there. The first one is this. The term that Jesus uses is actually, it is necessary that I spend time with you in your home. It's necessary. When's the last time we heard that? It's when Jesus was going through Samaria. It is necessary that I go through Samaria. Why? Because there's a woman at a well, and I'm going to lead her into a relationship with myself, and she's going to go back to her city, and hundreds of people are going to come and follow me. That's why it was necessary. Why was it necessary that Jesus be on that cross? In part because of the guy on the cross next to him that we heard about two weeks ago. He received the grace and the mercy of Christ while on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. Why was it necessary that the woman caught in adultery be brought into the presence of Christ? Because he said, where are your accusers? There are none. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So why was it necessary then that he be with Zacchaeus on this night? You'll find out as we go along. Why is it necessary that God calls you? You know what I understand is the crowd that was following him didn't say, uh, Jesus, look up in the tree. Uh, that's Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. Nobody said that. Nobody prompted him, warned him, informed him. Jesus is just walking along, looks up in the tree, and he's probably thinking this, okay, he's right where I need him to be. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. It's necessary that I spend time with you tonight in your home. Wow. He knew his name. He knows your name. He knows every name in there. The Bible says he counts every hair on the head. Sorry to those of you who... Missed out on that. <laughs> His knowledge of us is impeccable. In other words, it's without mistake. It's inerrant. He knows everything about you, your thoughts, your, your desires, your heart, your sins. And yet, the good news is, he loves you so much that he wants to pull you closer to him and set you free like we sang. He wants to arrest death in your life so that you're able to, to do what God's called you to do. That's why he's speaking what he's doing. And he's sending a message to the crowd too. He said, look, you may think that people who are of great importance are important to me. Or you may think that there's a certain caliber of person that I would never go near, like a sinner. But I'm sending you a message. This is the kind of person I'm after. The person like me sitting on that stage, not holy, not righteous, just a guy who happens to be a preacher, but he needs a closer walk with me. That's who I'm after. I'm after that man, that woman, 
who have some problem going on in their lives, but I can deliver them from that problem if they'll jump out of the tree. If you're willing to take that short leap from the tree to the ground, everything can change. It changes when you come into that closer relationship with Christ. Now, you have to have that initial relationship, but it'll change. The second thing that happens with the statement Christ makes is this. He frames the statement, the request to Zacchaeus, in such a way that the Greek mind would hear this. I really appreciate who you are in spite of what you've done and what you do. And I, I feel that you are able to receive me because of who I am. So I accept you, Zacchaeus, right where you are. Come down immediately. That's what Zacchaeus was hearing. He was going, the first guy in all my years as a tax collector that's ever said he liked me. And that's what I'm hearing. So I'm intrigued. I've got to go down. I've got to see what's happening here. Well, what's the response? Luke 19, 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Well, let me, let me ask a question. No matter whose home he went to, wouldn't they be a sinner? See, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So their question was very ill-informed. Yes, he was going to eat with a sinner, but watch what happens. Because he knew Zacchaeus' name, because he uttered his name and called it out, there was a power of God that went into the life of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't climb that tree by chance. Everything is planned and designed by God. He was in the right place at the right time for the right reason. And God used that for his own glory. So Zacchaeus sees Jesus, doesn't care what the people are saying, and Christ doesn't care what the people are saying, and he decides, it's time for me to come down. Now, between the limb and the ground, something dramatic happened in his life, in his heart. Luke 19.8. But Zacchaeus stood up. That means that he first jumped down to the ground. Now he stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Wow. Can a change happen that quickly? Well, it did for the, the woman caught in adultery. It did for the, the man on the cross. It did for the woman at the well. It did for Zacchaeus, and it can for you. It's not that we go from being people of a sinful nature opposed to God, and then all of a sudden we're in this great relationship with Jesus. Yes, that happens. But that doesn't mean that everything about me has changed the way it should yet. It's a process of change now that will take place. And then even after you're settled in and, and you're sitting on the platform after 25 years of doing something God called you to do, God can still call you to change what he has you doing. And he can put you in a different place and ask you to do a different thing. And you know what? It doesn't matter what it is that he asks you to do. What matters is that you obey him. He will provide everything you need. So Zacchaeus realizes this just in that short leap. He realizes, okay, I've landed on my feet where I'm supposed to, 
and he says, Lord, not as just a simple, uh, you're of a higher rank than I am, but Lord, you know, Yahweh, Master, Savior, I'm in your presence now. And when I'm in your presence, it requires me to do something. What? Well, the law required that if he had taken money from anyone illegally, he should return 20%. So he'd return the money plus 20%. All right, so 1000 bucks he stole from this guy, he's going to return 1200 But the writings of the Jews, the Mishnah, says it should have been 40%. So he should have returned the 1000 plus 40%. What does he say? He says, look, Lord, I'm going to give four times. Stole 1000 I'm going to give him 4000 Wow. But before he says that, he says, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. That's not just a gesture of a wealthy man. He's responding to something Christ had said. Remember when Christ said to the wealthy young ruler, the question was, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He said, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he couldn't do it. Zacchaeus is saying, I'm going to give half of every I have to the poor. And you may ask the question, well, why didn't he give it all? Well, he did. Because he's going to give four times everything he stole. Who did he steal from? Everybody in Jericho. Everybody who passed through. He's going to spend the rest of his life trying to find the people he cheated and give all of his money away. He doesn't mind the fact that he's no longer going to have power or position or influence or income because he has something far more important. He has a God who knows his name. Wow. You know, to know that I have a relationship with the creator of the universe, and he has said he's going to make all things new in me. It just it changes everything that I need to figure out where he wants me to go. It takes self-reflection. So God is calling you today. He knows your name, and he's calling and he's saying to you, I have something I want you to do. That's what he said to me in 2001. I said, what is it? He was silent. And then he said, I'll tell you after you leave what you're doing. Risk, red lights, flash, wife. You're going to, what? I said, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, do anything you want me to do, no matter what it costs. Just to hold on to that relationship with my Jesus. Just to hear my name called like no one else has ever called it. And you know what? Every one of us in here, when we get home to him and we're on the new earth, we're going to have a new name. But you won't know me by that name anymore. You'll know me by the name that he calls me because he knows my name. And he knows your name. And he loves you immeasurably. So... Jesus says, Luke 19, 9, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. What did he just say? He didn't say because of the works he has done, I have saved him. What he's saying is, I saved him and he responded to my offer of salvation with a behavior that was indicative of change in keeping with what I require. 
And so when Paul later says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's not saying, try to figure out how to get saved. He's saying, as in the life of Zacchaeus, because you're saved, now live a life that's worthy of that salvation, that's worthy of, of what Christ has done, that's worthy of the fact that your name was on him when he died. Work it out like that. So he's saying salvation has come to this house because I have brought salvation to this house. Don't resist that. It may not happen the way you want it to happen. Um, very interesting, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. See, that's the beauty, is that Jesus comes to live in you through his Holy Spirit. So he calls your name, you respond to that call, he comes and he lives in you. And then he directs you in the way that he wants you to go. To glorify him, to enjoy doing that, to serve him all your days. And those days are short. And when those days are over and you stand before him and he calls your name again, you want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Because your purpose was the same as Jesus' purpose. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus didn't deserve it, but he got it. A woman at the well didn't deserve it, but she got it. A woman in adultery didn't deserve it, but she got it. A man on the cross didn't deserve it, but he got it. You and I don't deserve it, but we can have it. He wants to build a new life in you and renew that life on a regular basis. Watch this with me and then we'll close.
and then divine touched flesh, touched sight, the race of man, brought forth from clod, with hand and mind to rule the realm, and soul to see the face of God. But void still raged to claim its child, that ancient bent and stiffened neck, and through deceit and crooked tongue, bound up man's gifted breath. Thus the sons of Adam fell to Tartarus's shallow graves, to wait upon the dying flame, when all returned from whence they came. But long before the cosmos danced, or ere God set the skies ablaze, there was love, all in all, God from God, the Word proclaimed. Weaving flesh and soul and bone, the Word assumed man's wounded frame to draw the deadly poison out and carry sin's unlawful claim. But death would forge the sword to strike, the shining heel of heaven's sun. That ancient wound infected still, inflicted on the Holy One. Yet sin, for all its boasts and lies, bereft of power, was trampled down. For darkness cannot overcome the fire of salvation's crown. Creation groaning in decay rose up anew. Called life from the deep, broke the shame forevermore. There was a rumor that the world was born in love. A whisper spoken true. The word, the life, the risen one, remaking all things new. Have you heard the voice of God today speaking your name? I hope so. And I hope you will consider responding in a way that glorifies him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's just unbelievable to us that you could love us so much that you know every one of us in here. You love us in spite of who we are and what we've done. And you want us to glorify you and just live totally for Jesus. And so today we surrender, Lord. The good news is you love us and we love you. So watch over everyone in this room. Allow us, Lord, to serve you and love you. Help us to hear your voice and to respond to it in Jesus' name. Amen.